If you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, we'll continue our sermon series on love based on what the Apostle Paul tells us there. And um, as we turn there, let me just mention to you that um, more than any other uh, sermon series that we've done here in a while, uh, we've received or I've received more comments about this one. And uh, it's seemingly, it's interesting, it's kind of the same comment, and then it's followed by a question. And the comment is that this has been one of the more or most convicting sermon series that we've had in a while. And I just wanted to connect with you on that. Like, it's been convicting for me too, right? To see God's love, what it's like, and to see what we're called to, and to see how we don't measure up. Hopefully, uh, it's also been very encouraging, because one of the things is, you know, when, when we are convicted of our sin, God is at work. That doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit being at work in our hearts to transform us. So it's a good thing if we're feeling conviction as we've been studying what love is. Well, so the comment has been, hey, this sermon series has been really convicting. And the question has been, how much longer um, are we going to be in 1 Corinthians 13? And um, so let me tell you that uh, next week we'll come up for air a little bit and we'll celebrate missions and Richard Pratt will preach and then we'll just have a few more uh, sermons in our series on love. So we will get through this. We're in it together. Uh, but my, my big hope is that we would know for certain that God is at work among us and He is making us more loving and what more could we ask for? Uh, let's now hear God's holy, true, and life-giving word. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, just four, verses 4 through the first part of verse 8. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you so much that you reveal yourself to us in your word, by your spirit, and most of all in the person and work of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we have felt convicted as we have looked at what love is. And so, Lord, would you help us to believe that you are at work within us, to renew in us the image of God, that we might reflect your glory and experience the joy of being more like you after already having been forgiven in Christ, now being renewed in the whole man after the image of God, as our catechism said. Would you, would you help us to feel that as we continue to talk about what love, love is today and empower us then to be more excited and more equipped to continue to seek to make disciples among our neighbors and among the nations for your glory and for our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in high school, I had a really good friend named Emily Kogan, 
That's not her name anymore now that she's married, but Emily Kogan and I were really good friends, and Emily would not eat mushrooms. No way. She would always even ask, is, is there mushrooms in this? Uh, no matter what, she, she avoided mushrooms like the plague. And it wasn't because she was allergic to mushrooms. It also wasn't because she didn't like the taste. Uh, the reason that she avoided mushrooms uh, had to do with something that happened when she was a little girl. And I, I asked her one time, I'm like, why are you so anti-mushroom? And what she told me was that when she was a little girl, uh, she and her best friend were playing in the woods, and they came across some mushrooms. And so they decided to have a pretend dinner party, and they took these mushrooms and put them on little uh, plates made of leaves, and, and uh, while she didn't eat any, her friend did eat some of these mushrooms. And tragically, they were poisonous mushrooms, and so he, the next few days, got very, very sick, and then he died. And so my friend Emily said that when she was at his funeral, she vowed to never eat another mushroom for as long as she lived. Because she refused to look for any type of joy or nourishment or enjoyment uh, in the very thing that caused the suffering and death of her friend. Isn't that interesting what love will make us do? to just choose to reject something for the rest of your life because of what it did to your friend. And I was thinking about my friend Emily this week as I was uh, seeking God's face and searching the Scriptures to understand what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. You know, as, as I said, we've been working through, if you're new with us, we've been working our way through what love is based on what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13. And This morning, we look at where he says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The NIV puts it this way, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. uh, Another translation said, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rather rejoices in the truth. And so, I I want us to understand what that is, what that means. But first, we kind of got to lay that foundation of why this is in the Word of God. And the reason that this is in the Word of God is because in our fallen nature, we actually do find joy or delight or entertainment in things that are sinful, in things that are considered wrongdoing. And therefore, God's Word shows us what sin is and and whatnot. And here, Paul is actually telling us that it's actually not loving for us to find joy or delight in any type of wrongdoing, but rather what's loving is for us to delight in the truth. And so if we recognize that, that by nature, in our fallen nature, we will actually find joy in things that are very wrong, well, then the good news is Uh, Through faith, Christ does enable us to love others by finding joy in things that are true and good and beautiful. So that's one of the key things I hope we can uh, understand and what we're going to be fleshing out here this morning, that through faith, Christ enables us to love others by finding joy in things that are true and good and beautiful. And so to understand that, we're going to look at three things. I want to talk about the what, like what does it mean to rejoice in wrongdoing? 
Second, we'll talk about the why. Why is it unloving for us to find joy in things that are sinful? Uh, third, we'll talk about the how. How, through faith in Christ, do we, do we learn to delight in the truth and not in things that are considered wrongdoing? So let's talk about what does it look like to rejoice in wrongdoing. And here's what I think we should recognize uh, from what God reveals to us in His Word. It's not loving to find pleasure or enjoyment in things that are sinful. That's what I think Paul is saying here. That it's not loving for you and I to find joy or pleasure or entertainment in things that God has said to be sinful. And what's interesting is the word here uh, is the, the verb that Paul uses, rejoice or delight. It's in the present active tense. So he's, Paul is saying this as if they're, they're in the process. They're, they're actively rejoicing in something that's wrong, that's sinful. And therefore, a lot of Bible scholars have said, well, what is he talking about? What is he referring to? And most land on the idea that he's going back to something he has already said in this letter to the Corinthian church back in 1 Corinthians 5. So just flip back a few pages in your Bible to page 1213 if you're using one of ours. Um, and let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, because a lot of scholars think that he's saying love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, reaching back to what he admonishes them for in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. So what does he say there? 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says to the Corinthian church, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now that last sentence, he's, he's talking about church discipline there, but I want you to notice something. He's talking about something as sinful as happening among them, and he says that they're being arrogant. It's interesting, that word arrogant, it's a Greek word that can mean pride or proud or arrogant, but it also has the nuance of acting as if something is natural. Isn't that interesting? So what he's saying there in 1 Corinthians 5 then is at best he's saying something very egregiously sinful is happening and you guys are acting like it's natural. At worst, he's saying, and you guys are proud of it. Okay. And so either way, it makes sense that Paul probably has that incident in mind when he's teaching them later in the book, here in 1 Corinthians 13, that love doesn't do that. Love doesn't approve of things that are sinful, and it's not proud of things that are sinful. Rather, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. In other words, he's saying, you guys should not have found any joy in what was happening. Now, so how do we apply that? Okay, let me tell you about frogs and swimming pools real quick. I know a number of you probably have a pool. You live in Florida. You've at least been in a pool in the recent weeks, I would imagine. And anybody who does have a pool in Florida knows what happens when a frog ends up in the pool. One of two things is going to happen. Number one, he's going to swim around until he runs out of gas and he's going to drown. And then you're going to have a dead frog. Or you're going to get your net and you're going to scoop him out and you're going to rescue him. Okay? Those are a frog's two options, as far as I know. 
So what happens if, for those of you that have a pool that have tried to rescue a frog out of your pool, you get your net, what happens as soon as that net goes in the water? Deep dive. Isn't that interesting? What has come to rescue the frog is sending the frog in the other direction. You actually have to work to get that little thing so that you can dump him in the yard and say, I was for you the whole time. Now I'm going to push here. Don't swim away. This is the word of God coming to rescue us. I think one of the ways that we apply this is, number one, I think we already understand if there's sin among us, we're not going to celebrate that, but we have to understand we live in a society that, we live in a society that offers an endless supply of things designed for our enjoyment or for our entertainment that are actually approving of and even celebratory of things that God says is wrong or sinful. Don't swim away. Hear me. Okay? Uh, what, I, what I think we can, how we can apply this is, I think this means there, there are certain books that we just should refuse to read or close once we recognize it's really celebrating something God says is sinful. There are certain songs or there's certain music we shouldn't listen to because it glorifies sin in some way. There are certain TV shows we shouldn't watch or binge watch. There are certain movies that we should just choose not to watch because they in some way approve of or celebrate or even glorify things that God has told us in His Word uh, is sinful. I think we apply this by choosing to be very discerning about our entertainment and the things that we are uh, seeking to find joy in and asking that question, does this that I'm seeking to get joy from, does this somehow glorify sin? And when we do that, then we'll understand more and more of what it looks like not to rejoice in unrighteousness or not to delight in evil. Now, I'm, we, we don't have the time to come up with a comprehensive list of books and movies and songs that we should avoid in movies, okay? But we do have the Holy Spirit who will help us recognize when we're looking at something or listening to something that maybe we should turn off. And so I'm not going to go through the what and give you a long list of what you and I should try to avoid, but I want to go to the why. Because when we get to the why, we get to the heart of God. So let's talk about the why. Why is it unloving for us to be entertained by or find joy in things that God tells us uh, is sinful? And here's what I feel we can recognize from the Scriptures. It's not loving to find pleasure or enjoyment in things that harm others. Now, just saying that, I think you get it, right? It's not loving for you and I to find joy or delight in something that we know is harming someone. So, think back to my buddy Emily. Why does she swear off mushrooms forever? Because they hurt her friend. And go back to uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5. I uh, should have told you to keep your thumb there. Sorry about that. Uh, let's look at that again because there's another piece that I think is so helpful. Really opened my eyes um, this week. 
So in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, once again, Paul's talking about this sexual immorality that's happening among them and that they're arrogant about it. But notice what he says in verse 2. Ought you not rather to mourn? Now stay with me here. Here's what he's, he's saying. That, that Greek word means to grieve deeply, to bewail even. And so what Paul is saying there is he's, he's telling them that instead of approving or celebrating what's been going on, they should be grieving deeply over it. Why? Well, let me ask you this. Can you imagine a scenario like Paul has described there in which somebody does not get deeply wounded? Is there any way this plays out well for people? No. No. And one of the things that God reveals to us in His Word is that there are consequences to sin. There's always consequences to sin. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, right? The good news of the gospel is that if we have our faith in Christ, then God has accepted His death on the cross in our place so that through faith, and nothing that we do, but through faith alone, we are forgiven, we are declared righteous. There's no condemnation. Paul says that verbatim in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But the Bible also tells us that there are always consequences. That whenever there's sin, there's going to be harm. Uh, Job says this in Job 4, verse 8. He says, As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Uh, Psalm 22, 8 says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Galatians 6, 7, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. And so what we see in the Scriptures is this very clear explanation and revelation that whenever there is sin, there's going to be consequences. And one of the things we have to understand about that is there's consequences to sin, both for the sinner and even more so often for the sinned against. Let me get really personal. Um, You'll never hear me laugh at a joke that has anything even remotely to do with any type of sexual abuse. And while I'd love to tell you that that's because I'm so holy, it's primarily because I'm so hurt. And many of you already know this, I've shared it before. But I was sexually abused as a child, not by someone in my family. And so I carry with me every day the deep wound that victims of sexual abuse have, which, by the way, one in four women and one in six men carry that wound. And so while someone who's never been sexually abused might make a joke not realizing something about it, I I can't laugh at that because I, I think about the woundedness that I have and that I know others have. Now, now think about that for a second. I can't take any delight in something that I know wounds people deeply. Think about this. In Psalm 5, verse 4, it says of God, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. 
for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. And what that's telling us is that God finds absolutely no joy whatsoever in sin or unrighteousness. He, he, he doesn't even, and you've got to ask yourself, like, why, why is it that God will find zero delight in any type of sin at all? What is it about God that prevents him from finding a little joy in maybe some of the less serious sins? I think it's his omniscience, his holiness, and his omniscience, meaning his intricate knowledge of all things. He knows the woundedness of everybody who has been sinned against. He has an intricate knowledge of the pain and suffering that has come to people that he loves through sins. Think of uh, Psalm 56, verse 8. In the New Living Translation, it says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Here's what that means. That means if you think of any sin, any sin at all, big or small, all-knowing Almighty God can name a multitude of people who have been harmed by that sin. And so when you think about God's hatred for sin, we have to understand it's not simply because it dishonors Him and His authority, but it's also and perhaps especially because He loves people who are being hurt deeply by sin. He has an intricate knowledge of just how deeply wounded people are through sin. And he is holy, so he hates sin, but he also hates sin out of love, and he refuses to enjoy or be entertained by the very things that he knows destroy lives. He refuses to delight in any sin because he knows far more than we do that every sin has consequences, every sin does have repercussions, every sin leads in some way, shape, or form to someone's misery or suffering. And so he says, I, there's no way, I cannot enjoy, I cannot delight in the things that, that hurt my people. And when we think about it that way, then we recognize that God's hatred for sin comes out of His love for us and His deep awareness of the woundedness that we have. That is part of what I think helps us to choose then, to look for our enjoyment and our joy and our entertainment in things that have to do with the truth. Right? It helps us to not seek to be entertained or to be enjoying things that God says uh, are hurting others. It leads us to do research before we read a book or before we watch a movie or before we listen to music and get a good sense of, is this something that glorifies something that God has told me is so harmful and hurtful to people that I love? And instead of enjoying sin, then we can choose to mourn over it like Paul said, ought you not to mourn? And you know what? You want to feel loved by God? Think about this. God absolutely refuses to take one drop of joy in the harm that has come to you. Because He just cherishes you.
And this, I think this is such a powerful thing, especially for our younger generation who's wanting to see the world change, who's, who's wanting to do something, not that the other generations don't want to, but they're saying that the younger generation just has this deep desire for the world to change, but they're not necessarily knowing what to do about it. And this is a powerful thing for a younger generation to stand up and say, we will not delight ourselves in things that we know are destroying the world and people that we know and people that we love. I feel God is rescuing us from being people who enjoy stuff that we know is harming people. So let's talk about how. Third, let's talk about how. Uh, How does Jesus, how does the cross help us on this journey to begin to willingly choose not to delight in sinful things? And here's what I would say. The cross shows how God feels about the ways we have been harmed by the sins of others. And it opens our eyes to the utter destructiveness of sin and helps us refuse to delight in wrongdoing and delight in the truth instead. That's a long sentence. Let me say it again. The cross shows how God feels about the ways we have been harmed by the sins of others. It opens our eyes to the utter destructiveness of sin and helps us refuse to delight in wrongdoing and instead delight in the truth. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, at the cross, we see God's hatred and anger and righteous wrath towards sin, and we most of the time, we're thinking about how that shows how God feels about my sin, your sin, and it does. But, beloved, don't miss the fact that the cross is also the clearest picture of God's response to the ways that you have been harmed by the sins of others. Don't miss the fact that when you see the justice at the cross, you're seeing the love of the Father who demands that His children who have been hurt see that justice is served. You want a picture of this? Um, A lot of you probably remember not long ago, the doctor who had served the U.S. gymnastics team for a number of years was convicted of sexually abusing a number of these young gymnasts, right? And um, he went to court to face these charges. And some of you might remember that there was one scene in the court proceedings where the father of two of these girls who had been abused by this man uh, could not contain himself anymore and burst forward towards this doctor to do who knows what. He was restrained and then later had to stand before a judge for his outburst. But you know what the judge told him? I understand why you did what you did. You will not be punished for this. A father who knows that his children have been harmed wants justice because of his love. And when we look at the cross, yes, we see justice being served for the sins we've committed, but beloved, we see justice being served for the sins that have been committed against us. We see that God's hatred for sin flows out of his love for us. 
And while we can rejoice that we're forgiven because of the cross, those of us who believe, we can also rejoice because of how much He must love us if He has demanded that much justice. And the thing is, we know that justice has been served for all who believe. Justice will be served for all who don't. The wrath of God will come down in full measure on all those who don't seek refuge in the mighty fortress who is our God through faith in Christ. But that justice, that wrath, again, is a picture of His love because a loving Father demands that there is justice when His children have been harmed. Now, when we, if we see that, then we see that His justice and His wrath poured out on Jesus for believers and poured out on the non-believers themselves in the future, when we see that that shows us how much He loves us, it also helps us understand why He just refuses, not only refuses to delight in sin, but He absolutely hates it, and He hates it because He will not find pleasure in the things that harm His children and cause their misery and cause their suffering. And the more that we see that, doesn't that make your heart want that? Doesn't your heart want then to say, God, help me do that. Help me be like you. Transform my life. Don't let me find joy in these things that's ripping this world apart. Instead, help me through the work of the Holy Spirit rejoice in the truth. Right? We can find joy in the things that lead to good things. We can find a joy. Jesus says in John 8.32 that the truth sets people free. So we are people who love God and because we love God and because He loves us, we're empowered then by the Holy Spirit to delight in things that are in line with the truth. To take joy in things that bring healing, not hurting, that bring friendship, not loneliness, that bring comfort, not despair, that bring life, not death. Paul uh, talks about this a little bit in Philippians 4.8, right? Uh, what a great verse to guide our efforts to find joy and, and uh, entertainment and enjoyment. Philippians 4.8, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. What a wonderful guide for the books and the movies and the TV shows that we choose to watch and engage in as we think about the fact that we, we, we don't want to rejoice or delight in the things that are causing misery in this world, as we seek to be transformed by the power of the gospel, liberated to be people who love others well by rejoicing in what's true and good and beautiful. I mean, there's no question about my friend Emily, right? Somebody who swears off mushrooms for the rest of her life because they harmed her friend. You and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be people who swear off enjoying things that are sinful because we love our friends. Most especially our greatest friend. The Lord Jesus who suffered the full wrath of God on the cross so that we who believe could be forgiven. And out of love for our greatest friend, we can say, you know what? Out of love for my greatest friend, I refuse to delight in the things that put him on the cross. Out of love, we can choose to delight in that which is true and good and beautiful. Father, forgive us of the ways in which we have, in our fallenness, enjoyed things that you hate. Help us to know your heart more deeply now. 
And help us to be so enamored with you and in awe of you that it transforms us. Help us to repent in full view of the full mercy that we receive through faith in your Son. Transform the way we look for joy and entertainment. And let us do that out of love for our greatest friend. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.